My guest today is Jim Cates, the president and CEO of the Association for Financial Professionals. In this episode, we talk about culture and talent development and how important they are. Yet pragmatically, we explore how-tos, how to foster the desired culture day-to-day, and how to continuously develop talent. I'm glad you're here to benefit from my discussion with Jim. Welcome to the Courage of a Leader podcast. This is where you hear real-life stories of top leaders achieving extraordinary results, and you get practical advice and techniques you can immediately apply for your own success. This is where you will get inspired and take bold, courageous action. I'm so glad you can join us. I'm your host, Amy Riley. Now, are you ready to step into the full power of your leadership and achieve the results you care about most? Let's ignite the courage of a leader. When I first got the job here at AFP, it was kind of getting to a point where what was my leadership style? So what, what did I believe? And I read a lot of books from a lot of different leaders. And I think I came to the conclusion that you have to kind of develop your own philosophy, although you, you can borrow it and steal from others. But the one thing that in this book that struck me was when he talked about walking into organizations that didn't have a culture, that didn't have a well-defined culture. Uh-huh. And then how, how do you set the expectations of an organization? Now, a lot of organizations have their, their core values, you know, sitting on the wall, but that's exactly what they do. They, they sit on the wall. And I, after I read this book, realized that for me, it was not about them sitting on the wall, but actually making sure that the organizations that I worked for lived those core values. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, I'll stop there. I mean, and, and certainly can answer any questions in terms of how we do that. But that emphasis on core values has not changed in 23 years. Uh, and our core values have really not changed. I think we, uh, the, from the original work that was done, we've updated them, made them a little uh, more relevant, maybe hipper. <laughs> okay. okay. But, but they remain the same. Uh, and we take them, you know, we, we, we measure actually, it's 50% of everyone's compensation at AP. It's not only how you uh, achieve goals, um, but also h- how you do that. And, and it's important that it's just not all about uh, getting results. It's how you get those results. It's very important. Yeah. And how do you embed the, the values Correct. into the culture? Really use them as yeah, guiding principles and behaviors you reward and uphold. Well, it's reward and uphold, but also to have a conversation around. And that's what struck me. If you don't know what you stand for and, and they're either sitting on the wall or they don't exist. So how do you, as a, as a manager or a leader in an organization, have a conversation with what is it based on? Well, mm-hmm. it's based on what I think today or what I read in the paper here at AFP, it's based upon a very well-defined clear set of cultural expectations. Nice. Does it show up in our conversations? Does it show up in our calendars? What we're doing day to day is that right. in direct support of and alignment with the values. 
Right. I mean, Melissa's here today and she's a member of the senior leadership team. I think we have, we meet every Monday and Wednesday, um, every morning. Uh, we used to do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but we're probably sick of each other, but <laughs> I don't know if it, any, any meeting every day, every meeting, every week, something related to culture comes up with, with a leadership team in terms of just ensuring and, and how we even interact as a leadership team. Our culture is embedded in that in terms of what our expectations for each other are. Um, so I think having it very well defined. So it, 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 and at least in our organization, I like to think we're not just talking the talk, we're walking the walk. Um, but I always say that these core values are aspirational, right? I mean, you, at, at every day and every moment, you'd like to think people are living those core values, uh, certainly in the office environment or in yeah. the work environment. But I think you have to be realistic and, and believe that they are, they're aspirational, but it's something to have a real concrete conversation around. We are human beings, right? right. We're going to have good days and not so good days and pressures and ambig ambiguity happening, right? We're not always going to be at our best, 100% aligned with those values. Recognizing that, but I love to hear that the senior leadership team is talking about it regularly. I don't think that's happening in nearly enough organizations. Well, I think we hold ourselves accountable to that, and it's a way to really start the conversation. And and if you've got something that you know you're having a, a benchmark against, then you can have a conversation. It, you might agree to disagree, but you're at least having a conversation around some specific actions and behaviors that, that we really feel are important at AFP for people to uh, live by, at least live by during the, you know, the office hours or <laughs> the day. Yeah. But I'm pretty comfortable that most of the people at AFP live those values. They, they take those home with them too. Yeah. It's hard to change your stripes that quickly from, yes. uh, after five or six o'clock. Uh, well, one of the things that I've been emphasizing a lot, I think you mentioned you've seen a lot of the things that I've either been re referencing or writing uh, is as related to people in the treasury and, and corporate finance profession. And I don't think it's unique to corporate finance and treasury. But on the other hand, if you think about the power of the CFO and organizations, there's a lot of uh, articles right now about the the CFO and capability building within their organizations capability being one of the capabilities is talent development. Mm -hmm. And I think this is an area where CFOs, because they have such influence over the purse strings, I quite frankly, don't believe that CFOs have really focused on talent development. I think that there is always been a little bit of a tension between the CFO and the CHRO. I actually sat on the Sherm board society of human resource management uh -huh. Uh, for eight love, years. Love that. Um, and um, I, I will say that they all had kind of CFO envy. They wanted the CHRO to have kind of the stature of the CFO. And I think the CFO has that stature because she or he has, you know, they control the purse strings in an organization. Nevertheless, uh, there's a book called Talent Wins uh, by Ram Sharon and Dennis Carey from Corn Ferry. I did a podcast myself with, with uh, Dennis. Mm -hmm. And it's really focused on, you know, getting the CEO, the CFO and the CHRO kind of on the same page in terms of talent development and skills development. You think about how much you read about how important upskilling is and talent development and all, you know, CEOs are talking about it constantly. Mm -hmm. Show me what you're really doing now. Mm -hmm. I really don't see it. 
so that's one of the challenges. I, I kind of it's on my. It's one of the things I really want to challenge people. If you're gonna if you're gonna say you're you're focused on talent, if you're gonna say you're focused on upskilling, then what are you doing in a sustained way to make that happen in, in your organization? Yeah. So that's been one of the things that I talk about a lot. And I think it's, if the CFO has got to get on board, because at the end of the day, that individual is going to, is going to be influential because the resources that have to be dedicated to talent development, and it's not going to impact the quarterly earnings, you know, it's something that they have to take a long-term horizon when they think about it. Mm-hmm. So in your view, Jim, what is part of the how, how do leaders and financial leaders focus on talent development and how might AFP support them? Right. I think the hardest thing when, when you're a finance person is, you know, there, there's return on invested capital. That's how they look at resources. There, there are ways that, um, that from a, from a financial standpoint, you can measure how value is being created in an organization and, and also looking at cost. And unfortunately, when it comes to cost, the first thing that typically gets cut when there's a difficult times is professional development budgets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you're talking about capability building and talent development being so important and upskilling so important and upskilling, getting employees to be, you know, retain, because we are somewhat in the midst of the great resignation and people deciding, you know what, I really don't want to work for these organizations. And when you ask them what they want, a lot of those things revolve around commitment for learning new skills from the organization. And I think that's going to be one of the big, the big challenges that, that organizations that, you know, have, it's just not about well, salary is always important. Um, but, but I think this, this whole concept of upskilling talent mm-hmm. development, that's going to take resources. Um, one of the things you can look at is what is return on invested talent? Now that's not an easy thing to measure at times. And again, it's, if you're a publicly traded company or, you know, the Wall Street gets you focused on quarterly earnings, it's, it's kind of hard to, to bake that in. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, you know, having a commitment to people, uh, having commitment to upskilling and talent development, I, I think is, is a, something that will distinguish organizations going forward. Love it. And we are hearing from Jim Cates, who is the president and CEO of AFP, the Association for Financial Professionals, an association that represents over 16,000 treasury and financial professionals globally. The organization, very importantly, has established and continues to administer the Certified Treasury Professional and Certified Corporate Financial Planning and Analysis Professional Credentials, Setting Standards of Excellence in Finance. The AFP Annual Conference is the largest networking event for corporate financial professionals. Jim was formerly EVP and COO of Financial Executives Institute, a professional association of over 14,000 senior financial executives. His background also includes positions in government relations, trade and business affairs, and he was legislative assistant to the Honorable James Shannon, a member of the House Ways and Means Committee. So you bring a breadth of experience to your profession, 
Jim. I love the focus I see and hear on talent development uh, and having financial professionals be those strategic partners inside of the organization. So I'm really glad to have you as a guest today. Well, well, thank you. So we're in the dynamic, uh, rapidly changing times, um, filled with ambiguity and, and unknowns. Um, what do you think it's, um, how do we develop our financial professionals for the future? Sure. For the so present see, and on it, into the future. Yeah. So uh, I, I won't, this won't be anything new to anyone that's listened to me. Certainty is an illusion and it's always been an illusion. So when people say, oh, we live in ambiguous times, not to challenge you on this, but we've always lived in yeah, ambiguous yep. times. All right. Uh, again, certainty is an illusion. None of us have any certainty beyond, you know, you get up in the morning and oop, the eyes open. So I think it's, first of all, getting grounded in that, that we always have lived in ambiguity. I mean, I think we live in more challenging times a little bit, but I don't think any of us should be surprised. And I, I try to do a lot of reading in this as well. And if you look back historically, if you talk, to, if you look at, you know, the great philosophers, I mean, you can, you know, this uncertainty, ambiguity, mm-hmm. uh, all is something that every, every culture has dealt with it at any uh, specific time. So I think we tend to tend to focus on those things. So for me, that grounds me. Now, that's the first thing, like, okay, if I believe certainty is an illusion, then, okay, so what are the things that I, that I focus on? And then I go back to some of the things that we talked about earlier in terms of that's how we communicate with, with the people we work with. with. Let's just, you know, acknowledge this. This is the world we live in. Mm-hmm. So how do we take practical steps to overcome these things and um, deal with them? And I think that it's, it's, it's framing the issue for people to keep them, keep them grounded. Now, Mm-hmm. I, it, it would be naive of me to think that the people aren't overly stressed out these days. And I think that's something you have to take into account um, a, as a leader. But I don't know if I've ever sat around, at least for the last 23 years, and said, you know, everyone's coming, skipping down the hallway and, and happy as can possibly be. I mean, you're always dealing with business problems. You're always dealing with uh, obstacles. Celebrate those victories. Um, but I don't, but I think it's just, it's just instilling in people that this is the world we live in. You have to kind of accept it. Um, And you kind of go from there. And again, being grounded in the core values for us at AFP and and that keep, that's our guiding principle in terms of how we look at the world and how we look at AFP. And I don't think it's any, you know, that that's how I can't say that's the right thing for everyone. Um, but I think it is the leaders and any leader's responsibility to set the tone in the organization, set the expectation, and also be realistic about what's going on in the world and acknowledge that and not try to say, well, everything's going to be okay. Well, everything might not be okay, Yeah. but, but stay grounded in reality Yeah. and keep saying certainty is an illusion. So you have to deal with ambiguity. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I think it does bring us back to culture and the the values if we have a healthy culture where we can transparently talk about what's going on and what and debate healthily about what might be the best path forward if we've got that supportive values based culture uh, right. then that's a, that's a that's a grounded powerful place 
to start to figure out how are we going to deal with the uncertainty that's inevitably there? I think it frames the discussion. It frames everything you do uh, as, as an organization. I mean, I will tell you, AFP is half of our revenue comes from the event business. First reaction is, oh, my God, I you know, feel sorry for ourselves. We got Delta a yeah. bad hand, but you know what? Yeah. It's reality. Mm-hmm. And all right, now let's let's fall back on those core values and figure it out. Figure it out. We did and uh, ran a really successful event last year, a very successful hybrid event. We actually had people in person at the event and uh, we will just continue to adapt. But I think that's got to be part of any organization's DNA and part of the culture and embedded uh, in, in that culture. Uh, and, and I think that it's hiring. The other thing that I would say is um, the head of HR for me has always been absolutely one of my closest strategic advisors. Have to, mm-hmm. have, to have the right people. You have mm-hmm. to have uh, a recruit for the right people in, in an organization. And I think we've, we've done a pretty good job of doing that um, and setting expectations for people that come into the organization, what it's going to be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and around those set of set of core values. And I think that has um, has put AFP, I think, in a good position as we go forward. Nice. Nice. I like that. Here's the values that we aspire to. And listen, it's going to take some hard work sometimes yes. <laughs> right, to continue to do our best to live into those. Well, and, and during stressful times, how do we treat one another? How do we behave? Yeah. One another? What are the expectations? If you're stressed out, if something is going on, you don't have to necessarily, uh, you know, tell everybody, but come on, you work with enough people enough times. I could look at you right away after knowing, you know, and most of the people have been around at AFP for years. If they walk in or I see them on Zoom and I, I'd be able to know in 10 seconds and most people something's going on. And the other thing we talk about at AFP, we talk a lot about um, blended, uh, a blended life that you, I don't, I really don't believe people can separate their work life from their home life. Mm-hmm. Um, and can they really balance that, that, you know, home versus work? Uh, yeah. it, it, to me, uh, I, I have yet to see someone that can really turn that off if your child is in, is sick or you have a parent that's not doing well, or if you're not feeling very well, just to understand and appreciate the fact that we have a, we're bl- we have a blended life and work is part of that life and not try to separate the two out. And we, we have discussions around that. And if somebody tells me I can do it, I can turn off, God bless you. But I'll bet you, but I do. Good luck in, good luck I wish I knew where that switch was sometimes, Jim. Well, exactly right. And, and I will say, especially in these times when we're balancing so many different things and, and parents and, and I happen to have a son who's a single parent. And, you know, uh, those are the types of things where, you know, you can't separate, you know, what's going on with your child or what's going on with a spouse or what's going on with a family member. So it's we talk about it and appreciate it and realize that we all have these blended lives and, and it's a way to just have a discussion. I, I really, Oh, go ahead, Jim. No, I'll, I'll stop. Yeah. I really like that term uh, blended life. I've often talked about work-life integration 
right? Because balance is an illusion. <laughs> Just right. uncertainty is an yeah. illusion, right? How does it integrate? How does it blend together? And right. how do we as leaders inside of organizations support the whole person? And just even, you know, from a standpoint of talent development, when we think about ourselves as leaders in all areas of our lives, there can be some transference of skills or even perspectives. It's like, it's like why can I have a positive perspective in that area of my life? Like, you know, maybe um, around my finances, right? But I don't have a positive perspective around being able to take care of my well-being, right? right? And what do I bring to work? And I think we can look at what's working, what's not working as well as we'd like in different areas of our lives and see how can we... How can we how can we learn from one area to the next and blend? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, for me it's a recognition that we all have whole we all have this blended life, and uh, and to be honest that uh, you know if something's going on at home or something's not going well for whatever reason that's outside your work life, chances are it's being reflected in your work life or or a couple of days. And I just think yeah. it's that again we talk about it and have that recognition. Um, that that it's there. Um, By the way, it's not an excuse for not necessarily getting your job done, but it is, but, but it is something to have a discussion and to, and to, to be, you know, to realize people have lives, people have lives outside of work and very hard to separate the two, especially if you're now working virtually. So, yeah. Yeah. Bringing awareness. Right. Yeah. Bringing awareness, because if we don't bring awareness, then our concern about our sick parent or whatever it is, uh, is unknowingly running the show. So my uh, second favorite uh, thing that we put on a pillow is self-awareness is a powerful tool. We talk about it all the time. Nice. Um, And again, it's it's part of kind of the core values and who we are. But again, you've got to be self-aware. And we use um, it's, it's one one of the tools that we use for recruiting, but we do use uh, the disk profile, the multiple disk oh, profile. Yeah. So, uh-huh. so that, uh, you know, we can look at an individual, but it's as, it's as valuable to the individual as it is to the organization. Because, yeah. in fact, um, anytime during like conference time when we go into high stress, the first thing I'll say is read that profile of what you like under high stress, because yeah. I will guarantee you it will be exhibited. And if you don't believe me, ask your spouse, your friend, your significant other, mm-hmm. well, what am I like under stress? And guaranteed, they'll describe exactly what, you know, what is described in that profile. And uh, again, it, it's one thing we use when we're looking at uh, people. We don't say everyone has to have the same profile at AFP. But again, it's self-awareness is a powerful tool. And if culture is important, that means how do we interact with others? And it's important, I think, to understand getting some insight into who you are as a person helps you be better at working with others. Absolutely. I'm, I'm decertified and I've seen the, oh, the okay. but yeah, the, the power in understanding your strengths when those get overused in times of, of, of yeah. pressure and giving teams objective language 
to talk exactly. about well, differences. It's really, right. it's really powerful. Yeah, I've had to modify my behavior over my career. That's for sure. Because if you saw my disc profile, you wouldn't think, you know, I could lead a team of one. So it's <laughs> <yeah. laughs> been a lot of a self-awareness for this person right here. Um, I, I know that I've also seen you um, write and talk about strengths-based leadership. Um, why? Why the focus on strengths? You know, I, I think, um, you know, whether weaknesses or opportunities or challenges, I think it is, you know, you want to you want to focus on, you know, where, where people have their strengths. Now, it's identifying where they have those strengths. And again, it goes back to what we just talked about. Self-awareness is a powerful tool. And I think people have to focus on what are my strengths and how do I leverage those? But it's just as important to understand, you know, what are the areas that I need to work on as well? Most of the time, it comes into those interpersonal skills because uh, one of the, when I was doing, reading all those thousands of books when I first started this leadership journey was, was Jack Welch. And he had a very simple four-part a, a grid and it just had on one side, you know, skills. And on the, on the other, it was, added, you know, uh, the behaviors piece. And, mm -hmm. you know, you wanted people who had the highest skill level, but also were living those core values in an organization. You want to be in that kind of upper right-hand quadrant. If you think about the, the, the quadrant, and it's kind of one of the things now, I wasn't a proponent of everything Jack Welch did because I know he had, you know, the lower 10% got cut. Mm -hmm. But when you think about that, just a very simple, you know, four squares, uh, that's something, again, to have a, a focus around yeah. you. Yes. You want the people who are really high performers, but if they're destroying the culture of the organization, that's a very, a very quick conversation here at AFP because you, I can work with someone. Um, I, I, I would, you know, if I had choice, I actually would want someone high on culture and maybe was struggling a little bit because you can work on the technical skills. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's very hard to work on those behaviors and attitudes. And, and I think that's the most important thing in you. And if you tolerate someone who's a high performer yet is a cancer into the culture, yeah. the, it, it, def, it defeats the whole. I think it, 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 it does create a cancer within an organization that can spread because it's mm -hmm. while they're tolerating Sally or Joe's performance, um, so that, you know, it, it runs con contrary to those core values you have sitting up on the wall and leaders will be second guessed in a heartbeat when that happens. And, you know, having those tough conversations, especially with high performers is, is a difficult one to have, but one we're pretty, pretty committed to. Obviously we want everyone to be, you know, highest on the skill level and highest on the, uh, on the culture sure. piece, but it, but as we talked about earlier, you know, you have to be a little aspirational here as you think about it. So yeah. I think generally, if you, you know, most people want positive reinforcement, let's build on your strengths. But I think it's also an opportunity to talk about things that you have to work on as well. Well, and, and you're, you're bringing it back around, Jim, to culture fit. That's all you'll hear me talk about most of the time. <laughs> Um, I, I love it. You've said a number of really valuable things uh, to me today. The importance of the culture and living our core values, making sure that shows up in the day to day, how we make decisions, how we spend our time, what's on the calendar, what's in our language. Um, that 
how powerful it can be if human resources and finance have a strong yes. strategic relationship. Along with finance. the CEO. I think yeah, it's that, right. that, 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 that group of three, because it's got to start with the CEO. Uh, he or she has got to live those core values. I'll just tell you real quickly, when we first developed ours, typically you want to do things, you know, kind of ground up. Yeah. But we felt very, I felt fairly strongly that, the core values had to be developed by the senior team because the senior team has to buy into those. Um, if you've got senior Model team buy-in, yeah. then then you then it's that is a way to um, bring them, make them real to the rest of the organization. But there is nothing worse if you've got a, a set of cultures and a senior team that doesn't live those core values. Then you've got a lot of issues in the organization. So mm. if, if people are thinking about doing this, I would spend the time with your senior leadership team, develop those set of core values and culture, put real meaning around them. If you okay. saw our first description of the core values, uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't some pretty piece of a language. It, it was, this is, this is very clear expectations so that mm. um, if somebody looked at them, we could have a conversation around them. And then once they get I think embedded in the organization, it becomes a little bit easier, but make sure your senior team really buys into them. Yeah. Yeah. And talks about how does that, how does that look behaviorally? If right. someone's upholding that value, it means that they're doing this and that and the right. other. Nice. And I've had plenty of conversations with our senior team about living their core values. That's for sure. And they oh, would, good. I, I don't, we don't advertise it, but we've had those conversations. Yeah. We have to continue to talk about it. Right. Right. And hey, that didn't look fully aligned with our value of <laughs> that of would that. be a lot nicer. You would have said it a lot nicer <laughs> than I would have said it. But those are my Boston roots, I think. We would have we we don't we get right to the point. But, we gotta uh, be we 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 gotta be having those those conversations, right? It's and, oh, important. Are we are we walking the talk? Yeah, and it goes back to another word that's probably way, way overused, but it, it builds the trust too, that you're having a conversation around trust. It's not about I'm about to fire you or, hey, we got an issue here. And it's really at every level building that trust the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and other words, right? Safety and alignment. Right. right. And yeah. Um, but to me, well, you probably know it all starts with those core values. Well, and that is what helps us deal with the uncertainty that is guaranteed to be there. So that's another takeaway. Um, yeah. un uncertainty is a given. It's an illusion too. Yeah. <laughs> Certainty is a illusion. It's an illusion. Yeah. That's, a, so that's very stoical, but I'm sure you know that. That's kind of a very stoic way of looking at the world, but yeah. I've embraced it. Yes. And we have blended lives. Yes. I like that terminology. Uh, Jim, it has been a pleasure and you have left us with some great food for thought. Uh, thank you for your time and thank you, Amy. being a guest on the episode. That was a pleasure. Thanks. I appreciate it. Perfect. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Courage of a Leader podcast. If you'd like to further explore this episode's topic, please reach out to me through the Courage of a Leader website at www.courageofaleader.com. I'd love to hear from you. Please take the time to leave a review on iTunes. That helps us expand our reach and get more people fully stepping into their leadership potential. Until next time, be bold and be brave because you've got 
the courage of a leader.